would like for us to um, get out uh, something to mark your uh, Bible and go to Psalm 121. We're not going to read it right now, but I just want you to have the, the place. The Psalms is in the middle of the Bible, and 121 is really pretty much smack dab in the middle of the Bible. And just put a little marker there, and then you, you'll be ready. When we had the historic day of May 24, 2018, we gathered here and the pews were all full and we had the vote uh, to whether or not to um, move forward on the, the Family Life Center. Um, everybody prayed, everybody shared testimony and thoughts and, um, and sang together. It was a blessed time and um, we finished well that day and then everybody left. And I was the last one, except for the Boy Scouts in the basement, I was the last one here. So I was going around, checking doors, making sure all the lights were off, doing that kind of, getting things ready to button up for the night. And I just felt like I couldn't leave. There, there's this part of me that just couldn't just go home. And so I went out to the green space where the Family Life Center will be, and I started to walk around the perimeter of it and just pray. And as I started around it, I thought to myself, I need to do the 17th. And immediately clicked in my head that place where Joshua and all the Israelites went around on the seventh day and went around the walls of Jericho seven times and then the, the walls came down. And there was this great victory. So that, that, that number seven was just kind of in my head, thinking about that. And so I walked around seven times. Now, the first time I walked around, Nobody cared, but there were moms out in the parking lot waiting for their Boy Scouts to get done that by the time you went by them the third or fourth time, they were like, what is that crazy woman doing? But she just keeps going around in a circle, around and around and around. And there was a point that I think the Boy Scout leaders who were still down in the basement were wondering if I was noticing something that the Boy Scouts were doing out in the parking lot they shouldn't have been doing because all of a sudden they were like out there to just check on things. Everything was going good. But it was just awe to have this person just walking around and around and around and the mouth was moving. What in the world was she doing out there? But I just felt like, you know, sometimes you just have to look weird. You know, and be willing to, to do what God's calling you to do. That's holy ground. We have a confirmation class that's meeting this summer, and this is new. I've never done this before in any church that I've ever served, but I've been feeling that we need to do something different. What we've done historically doesn't be, it doesn't feel like it's very effective. And so I called together the parents, some of the kids that are doing confirmation age, and I said, can we try something new? Are you willing to invest in, in, this, in this project with me? And so every morning, the confirmation class, kids are coming, the youth, are coming for three hours every Wednesday morning during the summer. And I said to the parents, I want them to be able to know when they stand up front and eventually to become members of the church that when we ask them the question, will you be loyal to United Methodist Church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness, they'll know what that means to me and if they want to say yes or not. 
So we have been about doing things for them to actively be a part of prayers, presence, gift, service, and witness every week. And we started out confirmation this summer, the very first session, downstairs, outside, in front of the empty clean mural, and had communion. And I said, this is the reason we're here. Because Jesus wasn't in the tomb. And that makes our religion different than every other religion. There's a lot of religions that know about God, but we know that he rose up from the grave. And he died on the cross for us. And that's what we base our whole faith on. So every a week we're doing something different in another place to do communion. So last, last week I took him out in the middle of that grass area and we had communion. And then I asked them one by one at a designated time, so they were spaced out, to walk the perimeter of what the new building would be and pray the Lord's Prayer. I said, you can pray it in your head or you can pray it out loud, but pray it as many times as you can as you walk around the outside of that space. For it is holy ground. It's ordinary ground until God's presence is there. In the Bible, we have Moses, who is just out to do his sheep thing yet another day. And he realizes there's a bush, and it's burning, but it's not burning up. He didn't know he was going to have the most significant day of his whole life, but he did. And he went to see what was wrong with this bush, and got there, and, and God says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. God's presence with us. Holy ground. Take off your shoes. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but not only Moses... But Joshua also had those words spoken to him. And that's where we're going to be in the scripture today. But I want to kind of frame it up, what happens when we get to the point where we have the scripture that we would find in Joshua chapter 5. So I'm going to give you the whirlwind, Reader's Digest version of the Israelites. They were a people in the promised land, and then there was a famine, and uh, the youngest of the brothers of Jacob, or youngest of the sons of Jacob, was already in Egypt. God's plan, provision for that. The story, you can read it in Genesis, it's awesome. But they are all as a family invited to come down and to live into Egypt. And they're there for generations. And they grow and they multiply and they're fruitful. And they get so large that Pharaoh is afraid that they could take over his country. And so he puts them into the bondage of slavery. And they are there for generations as slaves in Egypt. And God calls out of their people a, a of one as a baby, but God says, you're going to be my leader. And his name was Moses. And so after a many uh, years, 40 years, as being a Moses, he was exiled into the wilderness, and 40 years later, he has the burning bush experience. And he gets called back to lead the people out of Egypt. And so he does. And miraculous things happen, and ten plagues happen, and the Red Sea opens, and all of the Israelites walk through on dry ground to the other side, and they're in the wilderness. And their God is preparing for them a promised land, and he gets ready to send them across to into the promised land. And Moses does a terrible thing. He sends a committee. Committee killed it. The committee went over to the promised land, and they said, Oh, my word, these guys are big. We're grasshoppers compared to them. There's, there's too many of them. They're too big. We'll never be able to fight all of that. They'll kill us over there. Let's just go back to Egypt. 
And the guy said, you are not going back to Egypt. But you are not going into the promised land either. And for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness until that whole, that whole um, generation died out. And so it's the kids that get to go into the promised land. Moses has died. And Joshua, having followed him, um, Moses' footsteps for years and years, watching him follow God and be faithful and lead these people, Joshua is the one that needs to take over. And he's, he's intimidated, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be? So in Joshua 1, 6-9, God gives these words to Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so Joshua goes back to the people, and for three days they prepare. They get themselves ready to cross the Jordan River. And on the day that they cross over, the Ark of the Covenant, which had the Ten Commandments in it, the priests put it on their shoulders, and they carried it. As they stepped into the Jordan River, that's when it stopped flowing. And all the people walked across on dry land. So they had that same, remember what our ancestors did? They walked through the Red Sea. Now we get to walk into the Promised Land. And, and the interesting thing is that all the people that were on the other side read it for yourself in Joshua several different times in the first chapters of Joshua. We hear words like this or very similar. And the people that lived over there, their hearts melted and everyone's courage failed. Because they saw that this God of the Israelites, there's no way to fight him. He's too big. He's too powerful. So now they're, they're on the other side of the Jordan River. But now the first big hurdle is the walls of Jericho. They've got to they gotta get through this. They've got to defeat the people who live in the city of Jericho. Now, this is going to like, it's hard to imagine, but I just want to spit out some of these, these numbers to you so you can get some sense of how big and wide these, these walls were. There were sets of walls. Not just one wall. There were like these painting walls and then more walls and then a wall beyond that. It's huge. And I checked it out on the, on the archaeological websites last night Googling it. And, and just to give you an idea, it says the retaining wall was some 11 to 15 feet high. And on top of that was a mud brick wall, 6 foot thick and about 20 to 26 feet high. And the crest of the embankment was a similar mud brick wall whose base was roughly 46 feet above the ground level outside the retaining wall. This is what loomed high above the Israelites. 46 feet. They're on the ground looking up at 46 feet. How are they going to get over that? Now, now I'd like to read to you with that um, framework, Joshua chapter 5, 
and you don't have to go there because we're going to read it together. They're going to put it up on the on the screen. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, I'd like for you to look at Psalm 121. Remember we looked at, looked it up and we put our little bookmark in there? On the very first, go back to that first uh, verse of of Proverbs, or of uh, Judge Sagan. Now look, now when Joshua was near Jericho. So Joshua, he's not with an army. He's not with anybody. He's by himself. And he's near Jericho. He's staring at this wall that's like a mountain ahead of him. And we don't know what he was why he was there, we don't know what he was thinking, but in my mind, my, I'm thinking he's, his mind is like, how are we going to do this? And how many people is it going to take? And how many ropes do we need? Are we going to climb over the wall? Are we got to catapult people over there? How are we going to fight something that's this big? Okay, God, you parted the Jordan River, but that was water. This is a wall. It's at least 46 foot. How are we going to do this? And he's out there by himself. And then it says, he looked up. Now, that word that translates, looked up, in Hebrew, you can find that exact word in that first verse of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. He looked up. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Don't you think Joshua felt like he had a mountain ahead of him? And where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I just want to point out something to you when you look at that. My help comes from the Lord. If you look at that word, it's hard to tell just the way way it's printed, but it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This means the word Yahweh. Anytime you see that in print, it's saying Yahweh. It's saying when Moses was at the burning bush, he says, what is your name? And God said, I am who I am. That's what's here in this scripture. The Lord, I am who I am. The one who makes heaven and earth. I'm the one that helps you. And Joshua looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn. Now, you and I can argue about this. We have lots of people in seminary world that will argue about this. But in my my own personal opinion in my own study time, the person who stands in front of him, go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. He says, the commander of the army of the Lord. That's Jesus. Because Jesus Christ existed at the beginning of the world. And this is one of those places that, that he shows up. And one of the reasons I believe that is because if you go to Revelation in the second coming, it's Jesus on a horse with a sword coming back in the return. 
mighty warriors. And the other thing that makes me believe that is because when he said, I am the Lord of the Lord of the army, what is what does uh, Joshua do? He falls flat and he starts worshiping. And I'm telling you, any time in scripture, except maybe one of these significant times, when somebody tries to bow down to a, a, a human being or an angel, they say, Stop that. Don't you dare worship me. The only one we worship is God. And the fact that Joshua was allowed to get down on his face and worship says to me, this is the presence of God. Now, the interesting thing is, go back to that verse 13. Okay, then 14. And look at this question. Are you for us or for our enemies? This is an interesting thing. I've never, ever thought of it this way before. But you know what happens to us is that when, when we have something that we're facing, a plan or a problem or a concern or a challenge, instead of thinking about it as being God's plan, God's problem, God's challenge, we claim it for ourselves. We say, are you for us or against us? And what does the, what does the commander of the army say? Neither. Neither. Because he's there to say, I'm not taking anybody's side. I'm here to take over. I'm in charge. I am charge here because this is, this is my battle to fight. It's not your battle, and I'm not going to be with you in your battle. It's my battle, and you're going to be with me. It's so easy for us to get that mixed up and claim it for ourselves when we need to claim it for the Lord. And Joshua says, well, then, what message do you have for me this morning? What message do you have? That is, he's asking, I'm listening, God. Tell me what you want. I'm listening for your advice. Now, on the front of our, our um, bulletin today, I picked this out because... It was convicting to me. You notice there's a lot of buttons and things. And did you notice that most of them are do something buttons? And there's only one that has the word prayer on it? I have been more and more convicted personally that I should be less and less doing in ministry and more and more of praying about the ministry that God's calling me to do. And I have, I have felt that in preparing for the confirmation class, but I also feel like that in the church. I, and this comes not from outside sources, too. I'm thinking about it as I reflected on the scripture this week, how many times when we fill out the end of the, the year charge conference report, how many blanks in that, in that form that we fill out says, how many hours of prayer did you do as a church this, this year? What is your prayer plan? When I have an evaluation before the board of ordained ministry, nobody ever really asks me about any of that. They want to know how many goals I made and how many things I accomplished. And what am I going to do for my goals the next year? I sat in a congregational development meeting for the conference where I'm a district representative. 
um, a week ago down in Peoria, and they have a big plan that they're going to put together in the next four years, and they really want everybody's input and support. And so I'm reading through this plan. It's very small font, four pages, all kinds of charts, all kinds of things like that, plot, plot and planning and everything. And I realized as I went through it, my heart just melted. I said to them, finally, because I just kind of sat quiet, and finally somebody said, don't you have anything to say? Because they know me. And I said, I'm, I'm concerned about this plan because I said there's only one time in those four pages that I see even the word prayer mentioned. There was only one reference to scripture in the whole four pages. I said, we are going to fail. It may be a wonderful plan, but if it is not undergirded in foundation in prayer, where is we? There's a man named, you've never heard of him before, maybe you'll never hear of him again, but I must quote him, and I want to give him credit. His name is Gohenshi Shishin III. He is a uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he cut me to the core in some of his Bible study on the scriptures this week because he said, looking at conditions from our perspective of deadlines, feeling the pressure to perform and accomplish things to please people and sometimes our own egos. We are too often in a hurry to get the show on the road. But to be victorious or successful from God's standpoint, certain things are essential for us to remember. And that is that we need to be a praying people. Before Jesus went to the cross, his greatest challenge, his greatest mountain, the hill of Calvary, what did he do all night long? He went to the garden to pray. And we have the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible in, in Luke chapter 10. And Martha and Mary, they invited Jesus to their home. And Martha is busy, busy, busy in the kitchen doing all the stuff to make sure everybody's hosted well. And, you know, all that's good stuff. But she hustles herself into the living room and says, you make her help me. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the best. And what was that? Not doing something, but sitting and listening to Jesus. Are we as a church choosing the best? As I thought about this and, and my own thoughts about where I am and how am I doing, I thought back of all the teachings of Jesus around the table in the upper room before he would go out to the garden to pray. It was his last chance to teach into the disciples who'd never, ever speak to them in that place on this side of the cross. And Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do this, nada, nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And Joshua was there worshiping and he said, do you have a word for me, your church? And Jesus said to him, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And that was the place that he knew without a shadow of a doubt that the one that he was, had bowed down to worship was the one that had been at the burning bush with Moses. He had that affirmation. And to take off 
refused in Joshua's culture meant that you were going to show a sign of respect, a sign of submission, a place that you would be willing to be a servant to the one who you're taking your cue back to. Hampton Kingsley said, Joshua standing and perhaps also walking about the city of Jericho, studying what lay before him and weighed down with a burden of responsibility, it's so very much like us today. We see the things we believe God has called us to do, but we are so prone to activity and running ahead more than we are to worship and inquiry from the Lord. Is our lifestyle such that it sends us out into battle mindful of the Lord and who He is to our every move, mindful of those principles of His Word that must guide our every thought and step and fortify us with the comfort of God? May we, as we look over the battles or tasks that lie before us, look up. Like those psalmists did in 121. Just like Joshua did. He would look up and see the commander of the Lord of hosts and remove our standards. Now, I've been attempting to do this. And uh, everybody has to have that challenge in their own way. But I'm asking you to pick up these papers that were given, and there's some of you sitting on the ends of the pews. Pass those out in the, the pews. They may not have one, but you need to remember. These are the things that came to my mind as I walked around the perimeter of this property. So this may be a place to um, do some of your own thoughts and prayers, or maybe you'll have a different setting. God will give you. But the first thing I did when I walked around it was just thanking God for what he's already done and praising him for his faithfulness to us. Do you realize this, this church is a miracle? that it's here and it's, it's gone through all the transitions and all the different places of challenge in the many decades that it's been here. Do you realize that this is really one of the few churches in our conference that when there was that merger between the Evangelical Brethren and the Methodist Episcopal, it actually worked here? Do you know how many churches there are in Decatur because everybody said, that's okay, we'll be United Methodist, but I'm not joining with anybody else. That's why there's two churches almost a block and a half apart in Geneseo. Because those two congregations would not merge. They're both healthy churches now. They both do significant. But historically, they said, you know what, we like where we're at, we like what we're doing, and we just, we're going to stay. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit came in and put two congregations, one at one end, of the hill and one at the other end and brought them together. And we have done amazing miracles with the help of God's presence and guidance. That is just incredible. Thanksgiving place to be. Second time I went around, I just asked for God to bless us so we could be a blessing. And when you ask a blessing from God, it's not saying, give me a good thing. It means like, supersize it. I'm putting in my order, now I want you to supersize it. 
That's what it means. It means that I'm going to give you my gifts and my abilities and my talents. Now, do something bigger than I could do by myself. That's what blessings mean. The third time I went around, I just asked for wisdom and guidance and direction for all the decisions that need yet to be made. And there are a ton of them. And I can't even think of And it's more than what color will the tile be. So that will be a huge decision. A lot of that stuff is heavy burden on people. But can we ask for God's guidance and direction for all of the decisions that are yet to be made? And then I asked that there would be protection from the spirit of offense. I'm saying this now. I don't know of anything. I'm not bringing it up because there's something been going on. I'm just saying, if the devil wants to mess with us, the best thing he does is to get us fighting amongst ourselves. And then we can't move forward. So sometimes we just have to be in that place where we can hear what we disagree about and sometimes agree to disagree, but love each other through it. So protection from the spirit of offense and for the physical protection of anybody who will be on our work site from the, um, the, any of the construction workers. And then as I walked around again, I thought about how to be a witness to the people who will be on our property. All the people who will be pouring concrete or tearing down trees or digging things up or setting mortar or whatever they're doing, electrical or whatever, when they're on our property, it should, make, it should feel different than any other place because they're on holy ground. Can we witness to them about that? Can we set up a, a, a shade place with ice water or, or lemonade or cookies once in a while? Or can we put out a box that says, this is your prayer request. If you've got something you want us to pray for as a church, put it in the box. We'll pray for it. Can we pray a blessing over them as they begin the construction work? Can we make it so they go to the next place that they are, are working and say, you won't believe what happened when we were at 3801 7th Street. It's different there because the Holy Spirit is there. The sixth time I went around, I thought about that provision for $3 million. And bless those in our community that are willing in the financial community to come alongside us and to trust us to give us a loan. But how much more awesome is the glory to God if we hardly pay anything towards interest and we can pay for it as we go. I think we got a big enough God. I think there may be sources of income we don't even know about that God would bless us if we are all in that place of being obedient to what God is asking us to do individually. And that was my last prayer around. Lord, help me to know what you're calling me to do and Roger to do as a, as a giving unit. Lord, help me to trust you Help me to hear what you are asking us to sacrificially give, that we might learn a deeper trust in blessing from you. Now, those are seven thoughts in that. You may have an, an, another seven that's just as good as mine. But if you want a place to start, I'm asking you to put this, everything we are yet to do, to prayer. And as I thought about this uh, groundbreaking that will be coming up on the 8th. Three days preparation before we step into that will be July 5th. Check the church calendar, the Boy Scouts are meeting, but other than that, the day is here. So I will be here, and, and Roger's going to be here, and we're asking any of you that are willing, 
to come that night to pray, to worship, to be in this place, to start that true day before we hit July 8th and start the groundbreaking and the, the campaign that will kick off that night, that we would truly have this as foundation, not in a in mortar and brick, but in the power of the Holy Spirit by our prayers and our presence, taking our shoes off in obedience to be God's servants. I'd like for you to um, get an offering envelope out, and um, I'd like for you to put your name on it as an offering, if you are willing to be in that place of prayer. If you can't be here on July uh, 5th, but somewhere, wherever you're at, that you would be doing that three-day prayer preparation. And I'm going to come down and pick those up so I can write your name on it and pass it to the middle. That's an offering. An offering of your time and your heart, your thoughts. Get in the scripture and read. Just uh, pour over and let God speak into your heart. If you're willing to be a prayer warrior for this uh, project, put your name on an offering envelope. If you'd pass them to the middle, to where I'm going to come through and pick them up. If you want to be here at a.m., you let me know. I'll be here, too. <laughs> God is speaking to you. <laughs> now, I'm coming back up, so if somebody wanted to, to write in, they were in the first meeting, and I, I came by too fast, I can come back. Heavenly Father, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Lord, we claim that faith. And we also claim to be the people of God, and in that, Lord, we want to be able to pray to you, to lift our request to you, but also to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, help us to never get so busy that we're too busy to pray. Help us because we are so busy to know that we cannot do this alone. We need you, and we need to pray to you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.